This episode of Truth's Table is brought to you by InterVarsity Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Follow IVP on Twitter at IVPress and visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, See How you doing, girl? I'm doing, you know? We're out here. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I, have, I have more bags unpacked. You know, I look, my home looks like people really live there. Um, and God has been really, really kind. You know, we've not been, uh, we've not been ill. I'm so grateful for my health in this particular season of COVID-19. You know, it just makes you think about yes. those types of things from day to day. So how are you doing, E? Yes, yes, yes. I'm also grateful for my health. I'm doing well. Uh, I just finished my workout at home, my home workout. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm good to, it, it's good to be in the land of the living. Um, it's just something that mm. I think, I've taken for granted for far too long and um, it's no small thing. It's no small thing. So I'm, I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be at the table with you, my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited because we have a black woman rising episode. I feel like we need like the sound of like a Phoenix sound, you know, for, <laughs> for these episodes, you know, like a Phoenix rising. Um, and <laughs> we need I'm, theme I'm, music. Theme we need music. some theme music. We believe in theme music. We <laughs> have one for Black Girl Magic, but we don't have one for Black Woman Rising. So we got we oh, something. Oh, that's, that's, that's a must. Yeah. We might need to fix that. With, with we will. Thing. We will work on it, on this. Um, and I'm so excited about our guest. We have uh, yes. Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil at the table as our Black Woman Rising. Welcome to the table, Dr. Brenda. How are you? So excited to be with you. I'm doing well. <laughs> and just, just it makes me feel a sense of, um, I don't know, joy. All of a mm. sudden, it's this just listening to your voices, listening mm. to your energy, knowing who you are and what you embody uh, mm. just gives me a sense, okay, God, I'll stay on the journey a little while longer. I oh. see so I'm doing just fine Woo, amen amen that was that you just blessed me with that. <laughs> are you gonna put it in your pocket e? put, that, put that encouragement in I'm your pocket in my heart I'm so <laughs> well, well, well well go ahead and let our let our let our listeners know more about who who Dr. Brenda is I will thank you so Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil is a dynamic speaker author professor and thought leader her mission is to inspire equip and empower emerging Christian leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation Dr. Brenda is an associate professor of reconciliation studies at Seattle Pacific University and director of the reconciliation studies program. She is also an associate pastor of preaching and reconciliation at Quest Church in Seattle. An international trailblazer, Dr. Brenda leads individuals, communities, and organizations to biblical reconciliation. She was featured as one of the 50 most influential women to watch by Christianity Today in 2012 and is the author of Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0, A Credible Witness, and The Heart of Racial Justice, co-authored with Rick Richardson. So welcome to the table, Dr. Brenda. 
So great to be with you. <laughs> um, you know, you have done all the things and written a whole bunch of books, uh, which is not an easy feat. Uh, I, I just want you to, if you could start from the beginning and talk to our sisters at the table about your own faith journey. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah, well, I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. That's where I was born and raised. Yeah. And um, yep. And as a family, we used to go to a church that was within walking distance of our house. I'm the second of four kids. So there's four, two girls, two boys. My mom and dad took us to church. And it was really kind of a religious experience. There wasn't anything necessarily for me uh, transformative about it, but that's what good people did. We went to church on Sunday. Amen. And you didn't cut up in church. You know, you sat between oh, dad sat on one end of the aisle, mom sat on the other and the four kids in the middle and you sat mm. up straight the whole service. Right. Okay. So all I, all I really understood was, um, that by 12 years old, you could get baptized, but I didn't know what that meant or anything like that. Fast forward, I meet a guy who's in high school with me. And uh, so I've clearly, I've grown up. I'm not a little girl anymore. I've grown up. I'm in high school and I meet someone who goes to a Pentecostal sanctified church. Amen. Amen. Well, and he, he played piano at that church. And so I uh, visited with him and was absolutely captivated by two things, the um, sincerity of the people and the embodiment of their faith. They meant that thing all day, every day, and there was no question about what it meant to be born again. They said it every single Sunday. Amen. <laughs> no matter what sermon mm. they preached, at the end of that sermon, they said, you must be born again. Um, mm. But it was so very strict in its in its ethos, you know, um, no lipstick, no earrings. You couldn't wear pants, honey. I'm telling you, wholly sanctified. <laughs> so I kind of was impressed with their authenticity and their sincerity and their spiritual power. When they prayed, they prayed, you know, mm. and they expected something to happen. Um but I thought I would do that maybe when I was way past, <laughs> you know, uh, partying way past whatever I hoped I would do mm -hmm. in my youth. So I would mm -hmm. do that when I was older, way older. Mm -hmm. So I go to college. I go to Rutgers University. I'm a freshman. And that was kind of my first real encounter with the difference in um uh, I don't know, the social hierarchy in our country. I, I went to high school. I did extremely well. I graduated in the top of my class. So when I got to Rutgers, I just thought I was smart, you know? Mm. Uh, and then I get there and I find that I've, I'm in school with people who have gone to private school. I've gone to people who, you know, who have had all of these opportunities to travel and be exposed. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And so there was a great big gap between what I had received as a high school student that gave me straight A's and what other people had received, you know? And mm -hmm. so my freshman year was extremely difficult. Uh, and I and I didn't have study skills, right? I just didn't have study skills uh, because I I did well in school with, with minimal, well, not minimal effort. Of course, I studied, but I didn't know how to really bear down and do the kind of work that college would require of me. So uh, I almost partied my way my freshman year straight out of college. Amen. <laughs> it was not pretty. It was That's not right. pretty. So when I came back my sophomore year, I knew that I needed to make a change. I didn't quite know what change was necessary, but I knew that if I was going to make it in college, something had to shift. And I met a woman on my dorm floor 
by accident. Her name is Margaret. Uh, her name then was Margaret Blackwell. She is now Margaret Blackwell Moore. She is still one of my absolute best friends today. Right. And that girl was in in uh, on my dorm floor. She was in the bathroom that day that I met her. But I knew it was her because the door right across from the, the ladies' bathroom in our dorm was wide open and, and, and gospel music was being played. And I thought to myself, who's playing gospel music like on Tuesday? You know, who does? Does that you know, like Sunday, I get, but who's playing, who's playing church music on the wrong look, day? They must be saying, <laughs> So, when I went in the bathroom, she was standing in the mirror, and now this is going to date me because this girl had like she had the most beautiful, radiant skin and an afro that was so perfectly picked out that I was just mesmerized by how pretty she was, right? And I put two and two together. The girl playing church music is this girl in this mirror. And Margaret and I started a friendship and she led me to Christ that sophomore year. She continued to be a friend. She answered my questions. Um, And I noticed also, you all, I noticed how men, how guys on our dorm floor and our dorm treated Margaret. I can vividly remember one time I was in the hallway and Margaret and all of us were standing in the hallway and some guys were hanging out and they came by and somebody said a cuss word. And one guy said to the other brother, hey, man, watch your mouth. Margaret's standing right there. Wow. And I thought, huh, Mm. there was a sense of respect for her that wasn't there for the rest of us. And and I hungered for that. I said, God, I want that. And so slowly but surely, um, after hanging out with her for a while, I decided that this thing I thought I would do when I was way older was something that I should do today. And Mm. I became a Christian in my dorm room at Rutgers University. Amen. Mm. (laughs) Wonderful. What what a testimony. And I was listening, uh, Dr. Brenda, and I was thinking about this journey through the church world that you had taken, that you already had kind of a diversity of some experiences, even before you got to college, right? Even before you began to be discipled by Margaret, and that you were kind of exposed to the maybe the orderliness of some churches or the structure or the the um, kind of the, the, the power of the preaching or the prayers. But it wasn't until, Margaret, that you were introduced, not to the power, not just to the preaching, but to the person of Jesus. Um, and that's just, just a, a powerful reminder about how we can kind of be around the church um, and we can crave elements of the church. Um, but what a gift it is to us when actually the, the person, the head of the church, um, is introduced to us. And so thank you for that story, that that encouragement. Mm, yes. I think it, it certainly blessed me to listen to it. So so I, I know you from a distance, and I've, I've had one opportunity to, to connect with you uh, some time ago, but I know enough people who know you that describe you really as a mother of the church, um, just incredibly warm and incredibly kind. And the work that you, that you that I think that you're really known for is this work around uh, racial reconciliation and racial justice, and, but yet you have this testimony of kindness. And so I'm putting those things into conversation together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and how you're able to do that, to have the testimony of such kindness in the midst of the reality of your work, which is to come face to face with the principality of racism. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of it is that it's really my temperament. I'm really not a mean person. And, um, and so you know that I've just finished a book called Becoming Brave. And and that's really a part of my evolution that I, um, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. But I also know that being strong and direct and forceful is not necessarily equated with being mean. And I had mm-hmm. to make peace with that. So yes, I love yes. people. That's for real for me. I'm, it's not a fake. I'm not putting on an act. I really do love people. Um, I, I'm genuinely a person who cares cares for people. I'm not I'm not out to hurt anybody. Um, so part of my journey literally has been to marry those two. To be I've always been prophetic. I've always been strong. I'm not a timid person. I'm very outgoing. So that this is. Becoming brave for me is not somehow suggesting that I have kind of found my voice because God knows, <laughs> God knows I've been doing that mm-hmm. for a really long time. I mm-hmm. think what I had to marry was on whose terms I would tell my speak my truth. Yes, yes. So my lovingness is sincere. I really do. And I don't know, I don't take credit for it. I almost feel like I was just kind of, that's my temperament and I thank God for it, you know, but I do want to see other people thrive. I sincerely do want to see other people rise up. I do. So when I see you all doing what you're doing, I get happy. I take a sense of joy in that, you know, I literally want to see people reach their full God-given potential. And if I can encourage encourage them. So some people will say, I have the spirit of Barnabas. You know, I'm an encourager. and I want to, I will mm-hmm. encourage because for me, I get joy in seeing people thrive. It's not, it's not my intention to hurt or to demean. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think um, there is a sense in which people have a, a hard time uh, and sometimes, and, and people that even do this work, right. Uh, Christina actually often says that, you know, we fight um, up, powers and principalities, not people, right? Um, but these powers and principalities move, <laughs> you know, uh, through people's ideologies um, and systems and structures and institutions, uh, including the church, right? Which is where a lot of uh, your work um, lives. Um, and I'm curious about if you can uh, speak to uh, that distinction um, of, of about doing this racial reconciliation work, but also... Um, uh, while, while acknowledging um, the spiritual component as as well as the structural component that goes hand in hand with it. Yeah, great, great, great question. I think that that's what our secret sauce is as, as Black folk, particularly who came out of mm. the Black Pentecostal or spiritual yes. tradition. We believe that there's a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can ask, think, mm-hmm. or imagine. We believe mm-hmm. that we wrestle not against human beings, but against powers and principalities. That's not metaphorical language for us. We believe that we have to pull down strongholds. and. Right. And so so one of the things that I love is with all the education that God has allowed me to receive and to pursue, and I'm grateful for all of it, I will never stop thanking God for those saints in that Black Pentecostal church because they, they, out of desperation, and that's part of our narrative, that's our story, we had people who knew that the system was not working for them. So they had to access a power greater than the social structures around them. They had to say, when Jesus said, 
says yes, nobody can say no. That mm. was one of the worship songs that we used to sing, and they meant that thing, that if Jesus mm. said yes, nobody can say no. They would lay hands on the sick, and they would expect people to get healed because they knew that the healthcare system wasn't working in their favor. And so it took a long mm. time for me to grow into the place of actually wanting to tell the whole world how much I reverence those saints, many of whom did not have formal educations, certainly hadn't gone to college or seminary, but they lived a life of faith that accessed the power of God on a daily basis to provide, to fight their battles. And that is now the intersection of me. What has come to be who I am is the intersection of the Black Pentecostal Holiness church and the education and the theology that now informs it, but the foundation started with them. So for me, that ability to speak the truth of, 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 the, of the power of God to pull down strongholds is, is, is informed by the tradition of the people who formed my faith at, at an early age. And now I bring that to the table, which I think is one of the greatest gifts that we as Black people give to the work that we are engaged in, both on college campuses and churches, and particularly in this work of reconciliation, because what we're fighting against is not just social and political structures. Mm -hmm. There's an evil behind it that Mm -hmm. must be discerned, named, and cast out. Mm, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we have to, uh, it has to be named, as you said, it has to be called out, it has to be pulled down. Um, And uh, 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 sins, right? Uh, Particular sins need to be repented of particularly. Right. Um, Whether it be public, whether it be private, we got to name that thing. Um, And so Mm. and even if we don't, even if we can't name it right, we could say, God, you know, uh, I know I sin, but 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 my unconscious sin. Right. (laughs) Even the Mm -hmm. sins I can't I'm not even aware of, you know, those things we call out um, in in and of ourselves, in ourselves, right? When we're praying before the Lord um, privately, um, and of course when we sin publicly as well, that's what empowers uh, the racial reconciliation work is is a is a lifestyle of repentance, confession of sin, and repentance. Um, so yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I, I just believe that we don't really, I, I don't think that we outlive our um, our historical Christian roots, you know. And and not not saying that we're trapped, right? But I, I do think that that very foundation of the faith, you know, that the Lord saw fit to give us, I think that by God's grace, we always return to that, even if you, you know, you you even if you. Uh, uh, get off the mark after a while, but you come back, right? And you come to appreciate um, that Pentecostal tradition. So I, I I resonate with that, Dr. Brenda, because I know wow. I actually came to faith. I got saved in the Black Pentecostal church, so I know yeah, <laughs> what yeah. you're explaining. Yeah. And you know what? It took me a while. It truly took me a while um, because, and this is now an interesting pivot, when we go to college, when we go to seminary, we are in Mm -hmm. white evangelical dominant Mm -hmm. culture spaces. Mm -hmm. Basically, slowly, subtly, but but consistently are trying to conform us, right, to a particular standard. And, And so when I was in seminary and I talked about the Black Pentecostal Church, Um, I was looked at with a kind of side eye, like, what, you know? And so I learned to be uh, ashamed of Mm. what was seen as an emotionalism, right? 
a lack of, of, of theological rigor or biblical whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I drank that Kool-Aid because mm-hmm. if you're going to succeed in those worlds, you have to learn to do it on their terms, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so part of my evolution has mm-hmm. been to, one, yes, there are some things about the Pentecostal church, as is with all churches, that I could mm-hmm. say, now, saints, I just don't believe that was God. Amen. So mm-hmm. I'm going to put my lipstick on. Yes, I am. I <laughs> be done. <laughs> I do wear pants and I don't, I'm not sure we have to tarry like that for the Holy Ghost. So I got some problems. I got some problems. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make us sound utopic because there are, there are issues that um, I think uh, are problematic. Uh, but I will say this to the degree that we can give honor to whom honor is due. I think it is our job, those of us who have now gotten to the places where we have these kinds of platforms, to honor them because their names may never be in a book. They, you know, they may yes. never be given the respect that, that are due them, but they were faithful and they mm. lived what they believed 24-7. So I feel an obligation sincerely to 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 speak of them. Amen. And and to call their names with reverence and to tell people that while we get to a certain level of acclaim and everybody wants to take credit for it, right? Oh, she went to this school or she was a part of this ministry or... I, I want them to I want them to know, no, this started in a small little Pentecostal church. And if you never meet them, I will carry on their legacy and Amen. I will speak well of them because they deserve it. Amen. And so with that being said, I um I do do know that there are things that I had to let go of. I had to examine some of my Pentecostalism and and figure out what was how they used to say eat the meat and leave the bones. What mm-hmm. was good to keep and what what needed to be discarded, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's that's a part of our journey, isn't it? To to figure out what what part of what we what we received is to be held on to. And yes. then what part of that probably needs to be examined and scrutinized. And then we decide that perhaps that's something we don't need to carry into the future with us. Mm, mm, Yes, yes. I think, um, uh, you know, speaking of the future and pivoting, uh, I am really excited to uh, jump into your book. And so I, uh, Becoming Brave. And so I want us to take a quick commercial break uh, so we can uh, uh, pay the sponsors and then we go come back uh, and we are going to talk about Becoming Brave, Dr. Brenda. So stay tuned, everybody. We We will be right back. Hey, y'all. As you know, Truth's Table, we stand in the Black Christian tradition, and we are always so excited to bring you all resources and new books that lift up that same tradition. And so we are so excited to share with you Reading While Black, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope by Esau McCauley. The new book, Reading While Black, is a personal and scholarly testament to the power and hope of Black biblical interpretation, demonstrating an ongoing conversation between the collective Black experience and the Bible. New Testament scholar Esau McCauley argues that reading scripture from the perspective of the Black church tradition is invaluable for connecting with the rich faith 
life history and addressing the urgent issues of our times. Addressing particular questions coming out of Black communities, Macaulay shows how scripture speaks to topics often overlooked by white interpreters, such as ethnicity, political protests, policing, and slavery. So y'all know we never leave y'all without. And just for our Truth Table listeners, you all will get 40% off of Reading While Black when you order from ivypress.com. Use the promo code TRUTH20 to get 40% off of Reading While Black African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope by Esau McCulley. This offer expires on September 30th, so jump on it, y'all. 40% off. Use the promo code TRUTH20 when you buy from ivypress.com. And we are back at the table with Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil to talk about becoming brave, finding the courage to pursue racial justice now, which is very timely considering what we got going on. Right, Dr. Brenda? (laughs) (laughs) Only God could cause the book to come out for such a time as this. Really, I wish I was this good that I could have timed it in this way. (laughs) It ain't nothing but God's timing. Nothing but God's timing. Um, So as I was reading your book, Dr. Brenda, as it's my custom, I I will read an excerpt. Now, this is the first time, like, the preface actually grabbed me, really. And so I was like, oh, I was like, I know it's going to look like it's bad. Like, I didn't read the book, but I was like, the preface, though. Like, you started out with a very piercing question that was given to you by a student. And so I want to lift that up and I'd love for you to talk about that. And of course, we'll ask you more about how you came to this uh, transition, if you will. And so let me go ahead and read Uh, in the copy that I have. It's on page 17. This is the preface. And it says, Dr. Brenda, when are you going to talk about justice? It was the last day of a multi-day workshop on racial reconciliation. I prayed, I preached, and I gave a call to action. I taught the Bible. I told the truth about who, how Jesus' work on the cross not only served mm. as a vertical reconnection to God, but also demonstrated the horizontal connection we have to one another. I told the workshop participants how to have more inclusive worship services and extolled the importance of being engaged with and learning from people who look different, speak a different language, or come from a different place than they do. I had just finished doing all of this when a young African-American seminary student asked me this question. Dr. Brenda, when are you going to talk about justice? I thought to myself, didn't I just spend several days talking about injustice, about justice? Didn't I talk about racial justice all the time? I had been doing this work for over 30 years. I didn't know that he was talking about Uh, I didn't know what he was talking about, but it was clear that he was visibly frustrated with me and I wasn't sure why. I didn't understand what else he wanted from me. What else could I possibly do? I mumbled some sort of half answer to conclude the session, but was determined to find the student to ask just what he meant. As we walked As we talked afterward, he explained that although he thought the seminar was helpful, he didn't believe I had gone far enough in specifically addressing issues of systemic and structural injustice that affect people of color, the poor and the marginalized in our society. I had difficulty responding to his question because, frankly, I thought that I already had. In my mind, my entire life's work had been talking about justice. If I hadn't been talking about justice, then what had I been talking about exactly? And 
quote. So, my goodness, Dr. Brenda. (laughs) It it took courage. It took courage for you to write that, to put down that question, and to lead with that. Um, And I'm curious about, first of all, I would love for you to unpack that excerpt. And I think the question that might help um, you do that is, I'm wondering about um, what were you talking about before versus what are you are talking about now? Um, yeah. What's the distinction? <clears throat> well, <Wow. laughs> mm. yes, I was like, what you talking about? What you talking about, Willis? I was like, what you talking about? I can only imagine the things I would have said in my mind. <laughs> so, you know, this is one of the things I love, love, love about the process of reconciliation and being on the journey and being around generations coming behind me. Because you read my my um my mission statement to empower and inspire yes. the next generation of Christian mm-hmm. leaders to be practitioners of reconciliation. And so there's this dialogue between my generation or me and the generations coming behind me. I, I give what it is God has given to me, but I also am so inspired, so informed, so emboldened by the generations coming behind me. And so that person who asked me that question, y'all, was Dominique Gilliard. Amen. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm out there signifying I was like, Dominique, what you talking about? What you talking mm. about? I done done everything up in this seminar um, to call folks to reconciliation. And um, I literally didn't know what he wanted me to do. Now, this is before Dominique started writing books. It's before he became an expert in the field around mass incarceration. But his brain as a seminary student was asking some questions of the seminary education, of, the, of his formation, of what was happening in spaces that you go to Christian conferences and we and we talk about it but for him it never got to it and what he was asking for was direct uh, addressing of systemic injustice he mm. wanted to specifically talk about the and name them mass incarceration immigration reform you know what I mean to to to, to talk about police brutality and not to talk about it in general terms but in specific terms, to name the the broken systems that must be repaired if we are to have racial justice, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, I believe, was a fair critique. At the time, I did not realize this, but this is my evolution to becoming brave. You talked earlier about me being a person who is loving. I am. And that's not a brag. It's just who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my belief system was that uh, most white evangelicals, the world that I found myself speaking in at Christian colleges, universities, uh, um, conferences, et cetera. Right. It was primarily the white dominant culture world that was asking this question of reconciliation in the black church. That wasn't the common co- question right. about reconciliation. Right, right, right. Right. Things, right? So right. what nobody said, come to the black conference or to the Latino mm-hmm. conference or to the, you know, mm-hmm. it was more a white dominant culture space that even made me start to grapple with reconciliation. Absolutely. Be- Right. Because we would go to college. We would go to Christian conferences. We would go to a varsity groups or other groups like that. Campus Crusade, you name them. But all of these white dominant culture evangelical spaces, many of these 
people's books for whom we were writing never even included us. And I wondered mm. what is the matter with the with the church? But now I know I was really saying, what's wrong with the white dominant culture church that right. everybody seems to be so well informed, expository preaching, etc. But these issues of bringing people together in a way that is equal and just, just seems to pass us. What's, what's up with that, right? And many of us find ourselves working in institutions like that and organizations like that in the academy. And it, the disparity to me was always so clear that I found myself trying to answer that question. And that question is where the books that I've written have come from. And I realized, though, that many white dominant culture people in my experience were, um, were uh, afraid that people like me had some liberal left agenda that we were bringing in our own political motives that would somehow come through the door of us talking about racial reconciliation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. That their fear was that I I had some evil left uh, political agenda and that I would talk about racial reconciliation because who can disagree with that, right? But I was really trying to bring in some other hidden motive that would corrupt the church or get the church to be democratic or liberal or left or whatever the case might be. And I literally had no ulterior motive. I was not trying to make people think the way I thought. I wasn't trying to make people vote the way I voted. I wanted people to understand that this was a thoroughly biblical and theological call on the church. So what I did was focus specifically on being biblical and theologically rigorous. I I worked very hard to be uh, non-threatening enough so that people would listen to what I had to say and and consider the call of God on the people of God to pursue the kingdom of God. And I did that for a long time and I did it quite well. But Mm -hmm. what I began to notice was that as prophetic as I was being, people would then take that and turn it into diversity diversity for diversity's sake. Like, let's all come together. Let's have a black or Latino worship leader. Let's sing songs in Spanish. We'll eat with chopsticks. We'll have cultural celebrations on campus. And we never really got to the to the place where when someone was murdered, like George Floyd, the church would say something. That when people's lives were being destroyed and kids mm-hmm. separated from their parents at the border, that, that the church would say, we, we're, we're pro-life and we care about life, not just the life in the womb, but the baby ripped from her mother's arms and now they can't be reunited. The church was absolutely silent and I saw the hypocrisy in that. Mm-hmm. And it began to say to me, you can no longer hope that by preaching the Bible, and, and not naming the injustice that somehow Christians will get it because they're not getting it. And so I felt like God was saying to me, you need to say it and you need to say it with no sugar on it. You just got to be brave. Mm. Mm. You just need to say it. You know, I, I, I so appreciate you sharing with us that journey. And, um, and, I, and I can see how somebody could feel like they're walking, you know, even in the tradition of, um, you know, of, of Paul becoming all banks to all people, kind of condescending and um, overextending oneself, right, in order to to teach, uh, accommodating to what is perceived as, you know, the audiences or the, the students' weaknesses, but, but at the same time, find yourself maybe in a position of, of being 
of being used um, in order to put a Band-Aid on top of, you know, a, a bullet wound, so to speak. And as I was listening to you, I was thinking, Dr. Brenda, about the amount of sincere work, prayer, sacrifice and efforts, and also the juxtaposition in which those white dominant settings that are that are working to maintain power at times through using what we call strategic ignorance, how how even the best of us, the most sacrificial, the wisest, the most prophetic uh, black speakers, leaders, preachers can end up being so used in those spaces. Do you look back at times and do you, one, do you resonate with what I'm saying right now and, and to what extent? And do you look back on those times or spaces and feel a sense of anger or sadness or frustration um, if, if those were, if that, if that, if that narrative was, was your own. Yeah, I do resonate with every single word. And, um, and I do, I define reconciliation as an ongoing spiritual journey, uh, involving repentance, forgiveness, and justice that transforms broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. I mean, every single word of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't yes. regret because I realize that even now, uh, the the fruit of what I have done over all these years has has produced people like yourselves and and Dominique Gilliard and Austin Channing Brown. And so I believe that uh the, the work I've done has been a trailblazing kind of work, kind of like a John the Baptist clear the way, right? Um, and so I'm grateful for, for that. Yes, but what yes. I will say mm -hmm. is that... Um, you know, Maya Angelou and other mothers of the uh, of of our tradition say, when you know better, you do better. Amen. So yeah. when, you, when you know yeah. better, you do better. Because I realize now that I was helping people and, and, and I get it. We're, we're invited to speak. We don't hold back. I have been prophetic. So I don't want people to hear me saying I wasn't speaking my truth because I was right. But I mm -hmm. wouldn't say, for example, I wouldn't talk about sexuality because that's the, when you say the word, you know that you're about mm -hmm. to step into a divisive conversation, right? right and so right, right. I wouldn't bring up sexuality because I'm not trying to step into places where people, whole denominations are dividing around that particular com conversation. So if I'm wanting to pursue this word of reconciliation and I'm wanting people to hear this as a call of God on the people of God, then I, I stay within the boundaries of not bringing in controversial issues that I know are going to cause people to not hear me because now they think I'm trying to bring in my agenda, right? Yeah, but but mm -hmm. I now know this. I now know this. So this is the, <laughs> the change. I don't regret anything I've done before. But now I understand that people like me can be used as window dressing to assuage people's guilt. Mm -hmm. so they had a black woman speaker or they had a woman speaker or they had a Latin or an Asian American person. So it's almost like I know we should not have an all white conference. I know we shouldn't have only male speakers. So if we could have her, <laughs> we, right, could, right. we get a person of color and a woman come on here, you know. And so um, I, I don't think that that's even always conscious. You know, but I do think that it lets people feel like we've done something. But the question becomes, have you really? 
Have you done something or did you make space to hear something? And that's radically different, right? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I kept seeing us go round and round in circles. And for me, the 2016 election of Donald Trump was really the real wake up call, to be honest with you. It was the moment that I saw that preaching and and staying away from divisive or what's perceived Mm -hmm. as political Mm -hmm. topics did not make the church rise up. And let me tell you, for anybody who thinks for me, this is about a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or or whatever, it's not. I could have had anybody who anybody voted for. It was the message that Christians co-signed that Mm -hmm. was so Mm -hmm. egregious to my soul. It was the message of, 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 De- demeaning people with disabilities, of groping yes. women, of being yes. married and having public affairs, chi- right. Right. different wives, five children from different marriages and uh, lying incessantly. That's not the saints I knew. That's mm. not the Christians I knew. Mm. The people I knew wouldn't allow that kind of behavior and rhetoric and cussing and all of that. Oh. They wouldn't have been on the deacon board, let alone well. the president. Amen. And when I saw that Christians, particularly 81%, a overwhelming number of white evangelical Christians thought that that was okay. That was my kind of rally cry. Amen. Whatever becoming brave happened for me happened because of that. I just said to Mm. myself, this tactic of staying away from the controversial things that people perceive as divisive is not working. And it's Mm. somehow Mm. placating the church in a way that keeps us complicit with injustice. And somebody's got to say something. And that's when Esther's story became my story. Lord have mercy. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Yes, Dr. Brenda. Wow, we felt all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say, and you know, you got the next question, but I was gonna say in response to that, what became clear in listening to you, Dr. Brenda, is that what made you, what what hurt you, what grieved you, was the mockery of the church, was the affront to the holiness of God, um, and that, um, yeah, people who you know have spent time with with God, um, and are grateful for what that God has allowed us into fellowship with God, <laughs> you know, with, with such a violation of the holiness of God and to do it in Jesus's name does bring about this, this deep, deep, righteous, righteous anger. And I mean, when I tell you, I, I felt your anger <laughs> just now, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like not today and not about my Jesus. Um, and that's, that is not about uh, progressive politics or libertarianism or being a Democrat or Republican. That is a, you will not attach the name of the Lord to this. And so I think if we're going to get angry. We, we need to make sure our anger is directed because of the right reasons. Anyways, I just, I just at least Come wanted on. to lift that up because that became so clear um, that even in the midst of all your kindness and your known for your reputation is for being just a, a gentle, kind and prophetic voice. But when you got when you just got upset right now, it was about the things that we should be upset about, <laughs> the things we should be upset about. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, Dr. Brenda, I'm wondering, you know, this you do reconciliation, right? This is and this is a ministry given to us uh, uh, by our triune God. Right. Um, and, and this is something that Jesus wrought on the cross uh, for our behalf. And I'm wondering if in that same vein of us being brave, right, we're being brave, becoming brave um, and living into courage. Uh, I wonder if. Um, if you wouldn't mind embodying that reconciliation here at this table and speaking a word uh, to the generation behind you, um, those who you, because you you acknowledge that there were ways that you were, uh, people used you probably, right? To be like, well, you know, we have this person, so why can't you be like this person? Why can't you be more like Dr. Brenda, right? Um, uh, Because, you know, the, the generation that comes behind you were a little bit more, uh, direct, right? We're, we're a little bit more, and, and we have a different approach, right? Because I, the three of us at this table, we're anti-racist, right? And so we have a, a different, same goals, I would say, but a different approach and different methods. Um, I wonder if you can um, speak a word uh, to the generation uh, behind you. Uh, I know that in our own uh, uh, work, we have uh, we, we have taken hits even from gen- people within the generation before us, right, who have um, even sometimes attacked us <laughs> uh, 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 um, in some subversive ways uh, because of the way that we approach uh, ministry. And that's caused harm uh, to people. And I'm wondering if you can speak, if you wouldn't mind um, embodying that and in, in speaking a word uh, to the generation behind you who may have been either intentionally or unintentionally um, harmed uh, before, your ter- before you turned, right? And before you shifted into becoming brave. Yeah, great question. And um, what I'd love to do now in answer to both of your comments and questions is talk about my trip to Ferguson. I went there in 2014 with a group Mm. of clergy people who uh, were trying to understand for ourselves by by getting proximate to the situation uh, what this Black Lives Matter movement, which at that point was burgeoning, was about. Because the news media is always going to spin it from whatever angle that they're going to talk about it from. But as clergy uh, led by Lisa Sharon Harper and Sojourners uh, in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. we were invited to come for ourselves, to learn for ourselves, and then take what we understood back to our various cities and states and congregations to mobilize the church, right? And so while we were there, one evening we met with um, some young activists. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, they told us the truth with uh, straight no chaser. Mm-hmm. They they cussed and said, uh, we are, uh, we hate the church. We are tired of the church. Basically, we feel like we have, we have now inherited your unfinished business. You didn't finish mm-hmm. it. And now we have got to basically play the hand that's been dealt to us. Um, Some of them said things like, we hate your misogyny, how you treat women in the church. We hate your hypocrisy. We hate your silence, your complicity. We, 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 We hate the way you treat the LGBTQ community. It seems one brother said, it seems like you work harder to keep people out than to let them in. My, my, my. 
ouch. Listen, when you can't say amen, all you can say is ouch. ouch. (laughs) So we listened to them and we heard them and it was a powerful night and we promised them that we would do better. And so in in, in answer to your question, the first thing I want to say is that I understand that the church has in this period uh, when we have pursued reconciliation that has been reduced to relational kind of uh, making cross-cultural friendships. I can understand the frustration of your generation and you're looking for another word to talk Mm -hmm. about it Mm -hmm. because it seems like reconciliation devolved into the Kumbaya Club. And you all are saying, we would like to be anti-racist. Thank you very much. But we, (laughs) we don't need to make another friend. What we need is for somebody to change something and to literally confront the racist structures that are killing people in the streets of our country. We need to see that. We need to see equity happen where where people are given the opportunities to thrive. And I am with you. The reason why I don't want to throw away the word uh, reconciliation is because it's the word that God has given to us, but we have... Mm -hmm. Diluted it and made it more into relational equity or relational uh, diversity, when ultimately that word is a radical word that is embodied in Jesus Christ, where Jesus Mm -hmm. literally swaps places with us and takes on the hit so that we can thrive. And that's what real anti-racist reconciliation work entails. And so that time in Ferguson being proximate with those young people, hearing their um, their angst with the church made me personally want to help to restore the credibility of the church because I believe that the church is powerful. I believe that the ministry of reconciliation is transformative. But I also believe that we have let you down and that we at Mm. this point have to reclaim your trust or and I'll say this to anybody listening or we're going to lose a generation, if not Mm. generation of young people who will no longer come to the church. Wow. I so appreciate your humility, Dr. Brenda, for real. Like that, mm. that's a blessing. It's a blessing to me and I know it will be a blessing um, to those listening as well. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, you know, I was as you were saying that about what it, what does it mean to reclaim each other's reclaim each other's trust. Um, you know, I thought about you know I feel like we would be at a remiss to, we would be remiss to not um, ask more about what it is that we owe each other cross generationally um, as believers who are all who are all committed uh, to this work um, who you know who all think to some degree we we're right or we going down the right direction um, and we need the Lord to correct us and guide us um, in that. But I, but I am curious about your thoughts about what each of these generations, what do we owe to each other as we continue to try to walk faithfully um, towards real biblical reconciliation, which necessarily includes, right? The, the pursuit of justice and the doing of justice. So, what would what would you say, um, Dr. Brenda? I mean, I think for me, we owe we owe honor, we owe respect, my generation to yours. Um, we owe acknowledgement. Um, I don't think we owe a loyalty that requires us to not be honest about where we might see something amiss or a concern that we might have in a way that Dominique may have modeled in that classroom. 
but I do think we we owe um, we owe a kindness, uh, we owe um, a humility, and even a deference to listen longer. Yeah, and um, and I, I think that that is due, um, particularly when I think about uh, millennials, and in my case, you know, a young Gen Xer. That is um, that is what is due, I think, to that generation that is ahead of me. Um, and what would you say is due? to the generation that is behind you as well as the generation that is ahead of you. Um, mm. Since I know that you have been influenced by the generation that came before you around this work Absolutely. as well. Yeah, this is great. And it's almost like a full circle to where we began because I talked about the fact of growing up in a church where I probably was the only person who went to um, to, to college and university. Mm-hmm. Um, And now here I am with doctorate degrees and all that kind of stuff. And I'm still giving them honor and I will always give them honor. And so I appreciate the fact that we're kind of making the loop and had who who knew we would have done this. But I would say this. I I was working with someone, a a professional life coach around how I'd like to see the rest of my life uh, unfold, how I want to prepare for that. And he said to me, I see you as a learning sage. And I thought, huh, talk to me, say more. And he said, what I like about you uh, is that one, you are a sage, you are a wise woman, and you have years of lived experience that you have to give to the generations coming behind you. And you do that. You take joy in that. And that is a great thing. He said, but what I really like is that you also find yourself learning from them. So he said, and you hang around them. You want to hear their perspective. And it's kind of an exchange. There's a back and forth between what you have to give and what you receive and being in relationship with people who are younger than yourself. I think that that's the way the black community has always been. We have been an intergenerational people group where unfortunately, because of all kinds of realities around jobs and working and virtual realities now, we're not as able to live in community as we once were. So I think part of what we have to do is to understand that we need each other. There is a wisdom that comes with years. And there is something that needs to be said. And I'm grateful for the wisdom that has informed me. The foundation of any house has to be strong if it's going to stand. And so the night that I was with my young activists in Ferguson, I believed every single word they said. Uh, Two days later, they they, they, uh, called us to to come to a protest because uh, they had just been informed that uh, Eric Garner, the decision to not indict the police officers that strangled Eric Garner, had come back and there was a decision of non-indictment and they sent us a text and they said, we are going to meet on the steps of the courthouse at 4 p.m. Are you coming or not? Ooh, they were basically Mm. saying, put up or shut up. Come on. You said you cared. You said you were going to do better. You said that you were going to uh, redeem the the credibility of the church. Well, here's your chance. And so let me tell you, many of us showed up. We did. I can can see us walking down the middle of the street. Shane Claiborne was there for those who know him. And I'm a good friend with Shane. And Shane had his suitcase in the middle of the protest. I was like, really, Shane? Okay, you're going to pull this roller bag. (laughs) Which your fist in the air saying no justice, no peace, right? But what what I love is that story illustrates that me getting proximate to a situation in a, in a way that I 
felt things, saw things. I can remember a young brother opening up. No, he was a young white student. Uh, and I think he was a college student based on the decal that was on the back of his window. He opened his trunk and he had a gas mask in his trunk. Now, when I went to college, I had a lot of stuff in the trunk of my car, but God knows I didn't have a gas mask. And that said to me that, that this generation understands that it's facing something that requires them to be equipped in a way that I didn't even have to consider. Right. Mm. But I also know that wow. King and the generations behind, be, 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 before me had a philosophical and theological grounding that 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 gave the movement a sense of coherence, because Absolutely. without that, it scatters and fractures into a, a, a kind of chaos where people are all motivated by all their own different things. And I think it would be helpful to hear what the sage wisdom has to say that comes out of the church that gives this a theological and philosophical reason why. So that when I'm taking the hit, when I'm going to jail, when my fist is in the air, I have a reason for why I'm doing that. Let me just close by saying the reason I'm concerned about that is when I was in that protest, I saw a young white guy Bless his heart. You know, that's how you do it in the South. Amen. If you see something, you want to say something else, you just have to say, bless his heart. So he, 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 um, I can remember him having kind of like, I think it was blue spiked up hair. You know, he looked like a, like a rebel kind of guy. And, and so when we were at the protest, the police had put up some sort of a gate to keep us from getting too close to the courthouse and damaging the building. And, uh, so people were all in the streets, but all of a sudden this young white guy jumped on the fence and started pulling the fence down. And then other kids jumped on the fence with him. And I thought to myself, now this boy is about to get us beat down out here in the street. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Now his dad is going to come and he's going to dye his hair back to the right color and he's going to put on a suit and he's going to get, he's, his dad's going to come and he's going to get out of jail and he's going to go be a lawyer one day. Me and Pookie and them are going to get beat down in this street and somebody's going to get hurt mm. because one white kid has this desire to be a part of something radical. Right, right. And in that moment, that's when I felt I wish there was an ethos that that held us, that that gave us a theological mooring that said, this is what the, the call of justice and reconciliation looks like. And this yes. is how we do this as a community yes. and not as individuals who take things yes. into our own hands and cause other people's lives to be put in danger because mm. I want people to say I raised hell. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. that's the that's the, the 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 relationship that I see between the two generations. I believe we should have the relationship of learning sages. I think my generation has to be careful not to do this when I was your age stuff, because we need to cut that out mm -hmm. and say the things that don't even aren't even relevant to you now. Tell me what's relevant to you. Mm. And we have exchange. So I can't tell you how happy I am for this conversation because this is the type of exchange that you have facilitated today that is necessary to happen in so many other places. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for that, um, for just bearing witness to that, uh, Dr. Brenda, and and um, pouring out your own journey humbly, you know, um, and honestly and authentically. That takes courage. You got to be brave to do that. So uh, thank you for living out the title of your book, Becoming Brave. Uh, 
I think uh, it will resonate with a lot of our, our listeners, the sisters at the table and the folks in the standing room section. I think they will really be blessed by uh, just the authenticity that pours forth um, from your book um, and even from our conversation uh, today. And um, right now, I'm just inviting you, Dr. Brenda, to talk to um, the sisters at the table and let them know how they can get your book, when they can buy it, where they can get it and where they can follow you. Well, thank you so much. I am so honored. This has been a joy, really been a joy. So anybody who wants to stay in touch with me, my website is uh, www.saltermcneil.com. And everything about how to find me is on my website. You can go there. Uh, the stuff I do, the mentoring that I offer, the coaching and consulting that I do, all of that. There's a page with all the books and how to get to them and the various places that you can purchase it and how to find me on social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on uh, uh um, Facebook. And so the various links to that is easily found at saltermcneil.com. So come check me out, hang with me. I really do want to be a learning sage. And so the conversation, the back and forth helps me. It informs me. I learn as much from you all as I do, uh, as I share with you. So mm-hmm. I, I'm inviting as many people to be on the journey with me because I'll say this as I close. I don't yeah. believe that reconciliation is done in isolation. It's done in community. Oh, no. come on. And so the more I create community, community with people who are pursuing the kingdom of God. Mm. I feel um, I feel the wind of you in my back and it helps yeah. me to keep being brave. So that's how you find me. Come on, check me out. Amen. Amen. Well, you know what? Before we go, uh, Christina, will you pray over uh, Dr. Brenda before we close the show? Yeah, I sure will. I sure will. Let 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 us all uh, pray together, even those who are hearing this right now. Let's bring our sister, Dr. Brenda, before our God. Gracious God, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that when we pray, you are already listening, oh God. Uh, we thank you that uh, in your divine will and purposes, you chose to create a Dr. Brenda, oh Lord. And you gave her gifts and experiences. You gave her burdens. You gave her difficulties. You gave her uh, so many things that you have weaved together to make the tapestry of who she is right now. And Lord God, we know that your hand is on her, that you are guiding her path, that your word is a lamp to her feet. And Lord, we thank you for all the gifts that she that you have given her, that she pours out uh, richly into the lives of so many others, oh Lord. And so we honor you. We give you praise. We give you thanks for making yes. her. We pray that you will make her days long and full of joy. In name. We pray that you will uh, cause her to continue to declare the truth of your word, to point people to you as the great reconciler, O oh Lord. Uh, we pray that many will come to uh, support her ministry, to support her to speak good of her, to give her an encouraging word, oh Lord. I pray that she will experience four and seven and tenfold of the encouragement, of the kindness, of the love, of the perseverance that she has extended to others, that it will be poured back to her, oh Lord. Uh, We thank you that she is one of your special people, one of your special daughters, oh Lord. I pray that you would bless her church. I pray that you would bless her denomination and tradition. I pray that you would bless the dear saints and the legacy of the saints who poured into her, who taught her how to pray, who taught her how to tarry, who taught her how to forgive, oh God. Lord, we just thank you for all the intentionality in which you are weaving together our stories um, and that you are are fitting us together, oh Lord, that you are giving us um, 
giving us these experiences, oh God, even difficult for our good and for your glory. I pray right now for every place that she has declared your truth, where she has preached your word, uh, where she has encouraged people in the future to come and in the past, oh God. I pray in those spaces that did not receive her as the gift that she was to them, oh Lord. I pray for deep repentance to come, oh Lord. And I pray that um, she will see that repentance take place, oh Lord. I pray um, for her health, for her family, for her students. Oh God, we just pray that you would just continue to, uh, by your spirit, uphold this dear sister on every side. Uh, Give her her marching orders, oh Lord, and yet give her her place of rest. Mm. Lord God, this Christian race is one of rest and one of running. And give her the divine wisdom to know when she should rest and when she should run, oh God. We thank you that you keep her and that you bless her. And we pray that our listeners are blessed by her testimony and encouraged to run on and rest on in you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 And amen. amen. Well, thank you so much for sitting at the table with us, Dr. Brenda. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, we want to thank our listeners, our sisters at the table, Fritz sitting at the table with us this week. Please, uh, let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about Black Woman Rising, Becoming Brave with Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. You can use the hashtag TruthTable. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TruthTable or email us your thoughts at AskTruthTable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. TruthTable has a Patreon account now so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truth table or you can bless us at our paypal paypal.me slash truth table truth table is made possible in part by pottery studios visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment our producer for the show is joshua heath our executive producer is bo york and we have been your hosts akemini michelle and christina we'll see you soon on the next truth table bye y'all